There's this friend of mine, uh, a mentor uh, at a church that I was serving a number of years back, Dave Gall, and he had this, this philosophy that he would um, uh, uh, repeat and stand behind uh, quite often. He would share that, you know, people always do what they want to do. People always do what they want to do. So we might explain that this way, that, that uh, if you have a task to do and you have this choice between doing the task or procrastinating, you will make the choice on, based on what you want to do. You, you, will, you might choose procrastinating uh, um, because that just seems a lot more enjoyable than actually doing the particular task. That is, until the weight and the anxiety around getting that task uh, raises high enough to where now all of a sudden you want to do it. Like, like the equation change, and, and you want to make the... It's not that you basically like the task, but when you get to that point where you want more to make sure you don't deal with the consequences, you stop procrastinating, you do the task. But sometimes that can be really, really hard to make that shift. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're, you walk into the Cheesecake Factory, and, and you walk past that display counter, and you see a piece of the caramel apple cheesecake on your way, to, on your way in. You order your meal, and, and you have whatever it is you chose off of that 400-page menu, and, and you enjoyed it. And, and it's a huge meal. It often is a huge meal at the Cheesecake Factory, and you get to that spot. And you wonder, should I have a piece of that caramel apple cheesecake? Now, all kinds of dynamics are in play. You've got blood sugars that are, are taking place. You've got these internal chemical reactions. You have, you have your biology, you have your physiology. You've got psychology taking place. All those stories from when you were a kid come rushing in. You've got economics at play. You've got a social dynamic. Maybe the person who you're with ordered one. You're going, well, I might as well be encouraging of them. And what if I didn't? I don't want to make them feel bad. So let me also. And so you have this choice. Do I eat the caramel apple cheesecake? Or do I stay on my diet? You're going, well, I don't like my diet, but you have this thing you're weighing together, and all these forces come into play. People always do what they want to do. When it comes to wanting God, the Bible informs us that the initial experience of wanting God, that we're dependent on God to bring that about. That God is the one who quickens our hearts. That, that God is the one who moves toward us first. It's not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave His Son for us. God moves, God quickens our hearts that we might then be able to want God. We call and talk about that in terms of conversion. That, that God would... Um, quicken our hearts, bring us to life, that, that we would have this experience through, through the work of Jesus Christ, that we would experience justification by faith, and that we would receive salvation. And, and all this has taken place in that experience of coming to that place of wanting God, the work of God. But then what happens after that? The big question, now that we want God, do we really want the God of the Bible? Now that we want God, do we really want the God of the Bible? 
the description that Joss gave us, that do we really want to be bended? Do we really want to be formed or conformed into the image of Jesus and, and be used of God to, to make beautiful music in this world? Do we want to become like Jesus? We call that formation. That yes, there's this experience of, of coming into the faith, of, of having our hearts quickened, but then there's that ongoing journey of being formed into the image of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk in, and explore about in the coming weeks. Wanting God. Wanting God. According to God, what does it look like to really want God? Today, our focus will be on embracing what God requires. To want God would involve embracing what God requires. We're going to be looking at a little passage from the book of Micah. He's one of the minor prophets, not that he works underground. It's not that he is younger. It's not that he um, is less important. It's that there are, these are shorter uh, books in the Bible. There are 12 of them. There are the major prophets, the minor prophets. And it turns out that uh, Micah, according to uh, scholars, that, that he was working right alongside Isaiah and that during the same time period and, and probably toward um, uh, the end of Hezekiah's time, toward the end of the 8th century B.C., somewhere right around 701 B.C., it was a time just before the Assyrians came down and laid siege on Jerusalem. There's a lot of political dynamics going on, religious dynamics, economic dynamics. There was a lot of chaos, maybe not unlike what we might be experiencing even today. The rich were getting richer at the expense of the poor. The church was cooperating with this, which brings us to our text. If you have your Bibles with you and if you're uh, participating in worship um, at home as well, that if you would grab your Bible and we'll look at Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Let us hear the Word of God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? May God bless the reading of his word. May God shine his favor upon us as we come under his word. Three, thing God, three things God requires. Do justice, love mercy, or kindness. We'll talk about that word in just a minute. Do justice, love kindness, mercy, walk humbly with God. You know, Stephen Covey in his Seven Habits book, highly acclaimed Seven ha Habits book, he, he um, uh, is known for coining the phrase, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And Micah is drawing our attention to the main thing for followers of God, for God's people. Here's the main thing, and not just for God's people, but for all people. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And he helps us get to know a little bit more about all three of these things together uh, in, in a couple of different ways. He provides some explanation, and he explains it through comparison 
and then through a little bit of definition. First to the comparison. When we look at the first two verses of our little passage, verses 6 and 7, he sets up a comparison for us. A person comes before God. A person asks the question. Maybe you've asked this question. What does God require of me? Does he want me to bring a sacrifice? And here the person describes what would be understood as kind of maybe a normal kind of sacrifice. And then he takes it up a notch. He kicks it up a notch. He he says, how about if I brought thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? In other words, what if if it's it's an issue about the size of my sacrifice? We've got to be pleased if I did that. And then he goes to the extreme. He even layers upon that. that uh, Micah would have found this repugnant. The, uh, Hebrew, uh, the he- Hebrews would find this repugnant. But yet the question is asked. If I brought my own child, would God be pleased with that? Does God want my sacrifice? There's a comparison. There's a comparison going on. Then what Micah also uh, provides is a description. There's a description. He makes a statement before he gets into the do justice, love, mercy, kindness, uh, and walk humbly. He says, um, listen, God has shown you. God has told you. God has revealed to you what is good. So good, all the other things, the do justice, love, kindness, mercy, walk humbly with God, that that falls under this definition of good. It is what is good. He has shown you what is good. We know from Scripture, God is good. And that God does good. We even look at the first chapter of the Bible and and that God created all things. And when he created them, he said, this is good. And this is good. And, And when he created all of it together, he goes, this is very good. God is good. And God does good in this world. And so what Mike is calling us to is to the goodness of God. That our lives would be aligned with the goodness of God. With those two explanations, the other thing we we can identify here at the beginning is uh, to whom this, this instruction, these words are going to. And because of the language that's being used here, the way that the passage is set up, this is going out to everyone. Even the, the, the talking about sacrifice, this could be any one of us, any person standing before God. What is it that God requires of me? What does God want? And then when Micah makes that turn, and we see there's this voice going, this change in voice, that, that at the end of chapter 7, or verse 7, we no longer have the first person um, talking to God, but now it's Micah talking on behalf of God. In other words, because he's a prophet, this is God talking to us. And it's to each person. He has shown you, O Adam, O person, O man, each each person, he has shown you, God has revealed it. This is what God requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, to love kindness. And to walk humbly with God. So let's take a look at those real quickly. Do justice. Do justice. There's a couple of different places in the Old Testament where 
um, uh, part of the law would be worked in that God would describe for the covenant people, the, the gathered people, the, the Hebrews, that um, uh, they were to have just one set of scales, right? They're not to have two set of scales in business. Don't have your, your fair scales and your cheater scales. Whenever you're conducting business, do it fairly. Do it um, according to God's goodness. Take the high road uh, in the midst of all of life. It's a, a pervasive understanding throughout the Old Testament that there's this basic covenant relationship. God calls his people together. He says, for you, and as you interact with the world, I want you to live justly with the people around you. He wants us to respect the humanity of each person. Jesus provides a great picture for this. We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you get that picture? What if when we were thinking about, about big questions in the community and, and uh, big policy things the government's working on, what if we entered those conversations of, if I were in a person's place that would be affected by this, what would I need? What would I want? Do unto others. If you were in their place, how you would want them to do unto you. What a great picture. Jesus will go on uh, in Matthew's gospel, and, and he'll describe uh, this, this experience at the end of times. He gives this wonderful picture of, of what it means to enter the kingdom of heaven, that, that there would be people that would come to him, and, 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 and um, uh, he would say to them that you fed me, and you gave me something to drink. You know, when I was hungry, you gave, you gave me food, and when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came to visit me. When I was in prison, you came to me. They ask, when did we do these things to you? And, and, and he goes, when you did it to the least of these, would you show justice in this world? Would you represent the goodness of God? Do justice in this world. There's a, a scholar by the name of J.G. Gibbs in a um, an encyclopedia, he puts this forward in terms of uh, the description of God's justice, that it's dynamic rather than static. In other words, it's moving. It's moving forward. It's, it, it shows up in places. It's creative rather than codified. It, it looks to discern what is wisdom in this moment, and it creates those opportunities that it's also realistic and not idealistic. It's not just some kind of remove justice. Oh, if we could only have the justice of God. It's meant to be lived. People of God, the justice of God is meant to be seen by the world in the choices we make. So let's take a quick check. Let's take a quick check. Do I enter issues of justice from a Jesus-centric perspective? Do I enter issues of justice from a God-centric perspective? Do I enter issues of justice from a biblical perspective? Maybe if we sweep that away, that, that around, we could ask, do the people around me, can they recognize in my actions, can they recognize in my words the very heart and way of God? 
Or do they tend to recognize more easily conservatism or liberalism? Do, do they recognize more easily which news channel I happen to watch? Or can they recognize more easily things like anger and judgment and platitudes and inaction and self-preservation and self-promotion and prejudice and laziness and callousness? Do people around me see those things? Or do they see the, the high road of God, the justice, the goodness of God in how I move forward? What does God require of us? Do justice. He also says love mercy or love kindness. This example in, in the Old Testament could also be considered under justice, but, but we'll use it here that, that there was this teaching for the covenant community, the people of God, that, that if you're a landowner and, and it comes harvest time, don't harvest to the edge of your field. Don't optimize the field for your own promotion. Leave some. Leave some of the, uh, the fruit of the field for those who have no land, who, who have no resource in order to have the food. Let them come and collect for themselves. Kindness. Mercy. The, the word is, and we've mentioned about uh, this word in, our, uh, in this room a number of times, but it's the word hesed. Hesed. It's that loving kindness. Loving kindness or steadfast love. Kindness. Mercy. It has this, this connotation of loyalty and faithfulness. One scholar puts this this way. Hesed means faithfulness toward others in community. That's what it looks like. Faithfulness toward others in community. Another scholar put it this way. The willingness to do good on behalf of others. The willingness to do good. So if justice is the right action, if justice has this, this sense of calling, of, of doing this goodness, maybe a principle associated with it, then to love kindness gives us the, the heart, the attitude, the, the, the approaching, that it's, it's justice in the context of love. You know, we may be rock solid on our final decisions or our perspectives, in terms of these big issues in life. But we could ask, do people see and experience us as showing kindness and mercy? In other words, when it comes to issues like loan forgiveness or uh, immigration or poverty or racism or global warming, what do people see in us as we form, hold, and share the justice of God to those questions. Do they experience kindness? Do they experience mercy? There's this uh, individual, D.K. McKim, and when he did, talks about the use of chesed in this passage, he says this, it shows that every person becomes every other person's sibling. Can you picture that? That if we would approach everybody as, well, that's my sister. That's my brother. That's not just person, that a person who fits under this kind of, of, of tribe or group or, or they're the enemy or they're the other. But we look at the person and we listen to them as, that's my sister. That's my brother. Can you picture a world full of kindness? Can you picture that? What if your whole world this week was just full of 
kindness all around you, employer to employee, neighbor to neighbor, team to team, student to student, kindness. That's God's vision for humanity. It sure is His vision for His children. And what Micah says then, what Micah says on behalf of God is that we're to love this kind of kindness, love this kind of kindness, love this kind of mercy. Um, this one definition appears in an encyclopedia. It goes like this. This kind of love is a spontaneous force which drives one to something or someone over against itself. Do you get that? It drives us toward them. It's the kind of love that says, you know, it's not about me. It's not about me. I've got to move toward this. I, I, I want to move toward this. I'm just spontaneous. I, it moves me. And so to love kindness, to love mercy is to be moved toward it. It's emotion. You can picture love of a spouse to a spouse. Or maybe more relevant to this morning, the love of bacon, right? Even now as we sit, I will spontaneously move out of my seat after the service and get bacon on a stick. Love kindness, love mercy. Which brings us then to walk humbly with God. Walk humbly with God. By the way, have you ever tried to pay attention to your walk? Like all of a sudden just cognitively think about your walk as you're walking? It throws me off. It, it just throws me off. I started thinking, wait, am I doing it correctly? Uh, there have been a few different times where we're, uh, um, we're with family. Vicki uh, would be walking behind my dad and myself. You know, we're with family. We're out somewhere on a walk or at some, some uh, tourist thing or something. And then Vicki will come up to me afterwards and tell, and she's done this. You and your dad walk just the same. What? Don't talk about my walking. Now all of a sudden I'm thinking, are my feet flailing all over the place? And what am I doing with my hips? I don't know. And we don't want to think about our walking. We just want to walk. Maybe that's the approach we take with walking with God. Don't ask me about my walking with God. I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to walk the way I walk with God, and let's just leave it like that, and let's move on with our week. And here's Micah, um, uh, Micah, that is saying, um, walk humbly with God. Walking humbly with God is the right way of walking, given who God is. Given the greatness of God and the goodness of God, walking humbly with Him. And it's not a wimpy word. It's not like uh, just this fake uh, humility, this insincere humility. It's this reality of understanding God's greatness and God's goodness. And, and I am so dependent upon God and what God does in my life and how God provides. And it's walking in recognition of who God is and who I am. Walking humbly with God, doing justice, loving mercy, kindness, and walking humbly with God. The passage says, God has shown you. God has shown us. God has told us. He's made it clear what is good. And what is it that God requires of us? Do justice. Love mercy, love kindness walk humbly with him. Do you get the progression of this? That, that there's this heart change. 
that there's a heart involved and that our heart would want the very things of God in it, then that heart impacts our words and that heart impacts our actions. It could be tempting to come to a passage like this and say, you know, you're describing a fantastical life. A fantastical life. Yeah, some people might try to stretch toward it, but for the rest of us, eh. God doesn't present this as a fantastical life. He presents it as a faithful life. You know, there's this uh, youth group uh, game that youth groups all over the place play. it. Maybe they play it in schools. Um, but, you know, you have everybody mingle around or everybody's mingling. And then a leader calls out a number and people then clump together. It's the numbers clumping or something like that. They call it a number seven. And then all the youth, all the people participating have to gather together in groups of seven. And the people who are, don't have a group of seven to gather with, and they step out for the next round. And so it turns out that um, when you look at the church today, it's like we're playing a, a, a game of clumping. And someone yelled out, uh, color of skin. And everybody runs to the church that has the same color of skin. Or some, someone yells out, socioeconomic position. And everybody runs to the, to the gathering of people of the same so, socioeconomic uh, perspective. And Micah is calling us, it's like he yelled out, God. God. And calls all of us to clump around God's heart. God's way. You know, if you're a parent in this room, um, I, I think I understand something of the dynamic that you're going through. If you're a parent of a young family right now, and I understand a little bit of the dynamic you're going through, it's like whatever busyness that I may have experienced in my journey through parenting young children that now it's just up to 11. And, and life seems full. We talk about some programs and some ministries, um, uh, some context, and then the way we relate to each other that we want to be able to help you in the raising of your children, to help them understand what it is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. But we also affirm that a lot of that's going to fall on your shoulders. And it can feel overwhelming. Like, where are you going to find the margin to do that? What I would encourage us is let's lay it over. Even if we don't change anything else in our life, let's lay it over what we're currently doing. And so if you happen to be spending a lot of time on the sidelines, what does it look like to do justice there? The way you treat the families around you. What is it to talk about uh, loving mercy in the car to and from some place? Or what is it to have conversations about walking humbly at the dinner table? What if you, as a mom or a dad, chose to prioritize doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God in your own life so that the kids could hear your words and see your actions and understand your heart? as you yearn for the goodness of God. By the way, uh, we, uh, as part of the announcements today, we have served the city coming up. What a great opportunity to, to set aside maybe some other activities and to engage the family and have a different set of conversations around serve the city. Let me talk to those of you that are in grade school. If you're in grade school, like if you're in third grade or second grade or fifth grade, whatever it might, so let's say you're in grade school, 
You know, what would it be at your school if you are focusing on being kind to other people? Because you know God is so good and He calls you to be kind, to kind to teachers, kind to friends, kind to that new kid, kind to the kid that's being bullied. What if you prioritize being kind at your school? Those of you that are in uh, middle school or high school, my, uh, tell you, my hat off to you. Those are incredible years. You're, you're trying to differentiate yourself from your parents a little bit. You're, you're forming your own identity. There's so much going on, the dynamics. The amount of vulnerability that you experience when you're in middle and high school, it takes so much courage to get through a day. So I, I would put before you, as you're one thinking about what does it mean to be a follower of God as a middle schooler, as a, as a high schooler, what does it look like then to take on the goodness of God? To learn as you're forming who you are, as you're trusting that God's going to help you form, what does it look like to do justice and to love mercy, to walk humbly with God? By the way, that's what our youth groups are committed to helping one another as they gather together. And how about for the rest of us, college and 20s and 30s and 50s and whatever it might be, in the midst of, you know, career choices and, and trying to secure retirement, all those, what, if, what does it look like then to pursue the goodness of God, that we would clump together around God's goodness, not around whatever seems normal or whatever our default is? People always do what they want. On this day, what... What if we make that choice in light of what God's already done in our hearts and God quickened our hearts and we can want God? And what if we say, no, we really want God? And if we want God, then we are saying we want what God wants. We want what God requires. And God requires us to do good, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. And he's given us his son. He's given us his Holy Spirit that we would journey well in, this, in these endeavors. And so, my brothers and my sisters, together with you, I want God. Let's together do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the God who makes things clear. And God, we need to depend upon you. We need to depend upon your grace and your love and your presence in our lives. We need to depend upon you uh, and your teaching that we would know the way forward, that we cannot do this on our own and we need each other. Iron sharpening iron, the people of God growing together. God, would you work your justice in our hearts and through our hearts into this world? Would you cause us to be that we would grow in kindness and mercy toward each other and others? That, God, we would learn what humility looks like before you. That our lives would be defined by the humility you call us to. That we would walk humbly with you. To you be all the glory. In Christ's name, amen.